Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Hello, it's Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. It's Cindy Howes, and welcome. Hope you're doing great. Today on the podcast, very pleased to have Jossie Adams, the very talented multi-instrumentalist, singer-songwriter, magical human being who currently fronts Arc Iris and previously has been in the Low Anthem. I will tell you uh, what we talk about in just a bit. But first, let's thank our sponsors for Basic Folk. Basic Folk is brought to you in part by Tina and Her Pony, a queer duo bringing traditional Appalachian music and vocal harmonies into the 21st century. Visit tinaandherpony.com. This episode of Basic Folk receives support in more ways than one from motivational life coach Janet Forrest, who helps individuals see their own potential, overcome obstacles, and move forward. Visit JanetForrest.com and mention Basic Folk. You'll receive 25% off your first month of coaching. First time I met Jossie Adams was when she first joined the Low Anthem, the Providence, Rhode Island kind of um, weird experimental folk group where she... Um, first started playing clarinet and um, started to eventually move from instrument to instrument to instrument. And then she started singing in that band and writing songs. Um, and then uh, after a while, she decided to uh, venture out on her own and start Arc Iris, which if you listen to Arc Iris, uh, they're not like super straight ahead folk, but they definitely have some folk elements to what they do. They're very interesting kind of like um, like a Florence and the Machine David Bowie St. Vincent type of thing with a definitely like a theatrical thing going on they're visually stunning Jossie will often wear a gold bodysuit with um, like stuck on jewels on her face and it's she's um, definitely puts on a stage show the last time I saw Arc Iris she came out of this like uh, large rectangle looking thing that uh, clearly was a vagina and she was sort of um, artistically coming out of it on stage uh, so it was pretty incredible um, <laughs> definitely recommend an Arc Iris live show I've seen them live a handful of times and they've gotten like so great they've always been great but they've just like reached this point of uh like performance perfection uh where it's just entertaining the songs sound great anyways i digress um so jossie and i talk about her growing up um her dad was um uh, i don't want to say he was a nasa guy but he was like um he worked on the hubble telescope so we talk about um their relationship and also Jossie's clarinet playing 
um, and her experience and background in classical music. It's a very interesting conversation. She is not your typical musician. She's really great and happy to have her on the podcast. And we're going to take a listen to an Arc Iris song before we get into the podcast today. This is from their latest album called Icon of Ego, and the song we're going to hear is If You Can See Me. span of your life. Are you ready for this? <laughs> I'm I'm ready. Okay. It's been a while since I had an interview, so let's just cover it all. All right, right yeah. Now. When you were growing up, you went into um, physics. Tell me about your experience with like the physics and science when you were a kid. Uh, when I was very little, I really I was drawn to I was drawn to a lot of things, but my dad was home a lot when I was little, and my dad is an aeronautical engineer. So, you know, by a result of that is just like I'm hanging out with my dad. What does that mean, an aeronautical engineer? Uh, it means he worked on space stuff and worked on plane stuff. Did he work for NASA? He, well, indirectly. So he worked at a place called Draper, which is part of MIT, and then they would get hired out by places like DARPA and NASA and stuff like that. So he worked on the, for NASA, he worked on the control system for the Hubble Space Telescope, which is pretty cool. Whoa, that is cool, yeah. It's definitely the most cool thing that I know that he's done, but I'm sure he's done cooler things that I just don't <laughs> understand or know. Because <laughs> if you go to try and read one of his papers, it's all gibberish, unless you're a genius. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, so, yeah, talk a little bit more about your connection with, um, like, what, what drew you to science. You were hanging out with your dad. Was that basically it, that you enjoyed spending time with your dad and then you, you liked what he was doing? I think so. I mean, I think I really like a lot of things. So I think, it, you know, in my older age, I, I know how much I love to write and how much I love poetry and reading and all these different things that I didn't prioritize when I was little as much because I think I was really predominantly hanging out with my dad and... Not that my mom wasn't there. She was totally amazing and totally there and so wonderful. But when I came home from school, my mom was still working. And so I would hang out with my dad and we would do stuff like build little radios and like, I don't know. Do we, He had a lot of weird computers, old, old computers. And he had, I forget what it was called. Some, I think it was called Logic. There was some computer program that he had that was like a really basic computer programming thing for kids that you could make little animations and stuff and 
I don't know. He was, it's just, that was his world and, and I was his world. So oh, that's so cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'd like to come back to that. I have a question about your gear later. I think maybe that ties in um, with that, but I'd love to hear about the clarinet. Is that your first instrument? Um, well, actually I played piano for a little bit before that and I played, I wanted to play the cello, but when I got to the age that you get to choose your string instrument at my school, the cello section was already full. So I played viola for a year, which I didn't like as well as the cello, and then decided to switch to clarinet. But I wonder if I had gotten one of those cellos to begin with, I probably would end up playing cello, which is just different. Mm. But I love clarinet, and yeah, I took it really seriously when I was a kid. Mm. And played all the time. It's so great when you, to see you in Arc Iris and you're in your like gold bodysuit and you just like pull out your clarinet. I don't know if you still do that very often, but it seems like not very typical <laughs> to see the clarinet in like a space rock band. <laughs> it's great. That was fun. I don't do it anymore, but not because I don't like it, just because we have so much stuff and it's yeah. gotta cut some stuff off the stage. <laughs> So uh, let's talk about the guitar. When did you come to the guitar? <laughs> Not until super late. Um, I think the first time I really started playing guitar with any intention was <laughs> in the low anthem, there was a blues song that we played. And I don't know, you remember the low, anth low anthem, how it was kind of like, okay, we want this thing, figure it out. I feel like I was kind of like a figure it out guy. Like, we want like, <laughs> mm -hmm. or we'd be like, oh, it'd be nice to have trumpet on the song. And then it would be like, everyone's looking at me, like, figure it out. Like Jossie, figure out how to play the trumpet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so we had this blues song and there, I think Ben played drums and Jeff played bass. And I played electric guitar, a solo. <laughs> I mean, nothing fancy, but I remember just being like, this is very daunting. I'm playing this instrument. Like the ever, people that play it play it so much in the in the world of like if you play come out you play a couple notes on trumpet, you can get away with like playing two notes correctly in tune and it's fine and whatever. But mm -hmm. if you're trying to play the guitar in a world where that's people's expertise. You know, I remember being like, oh, oh this is bad. So <laughs> that was really the beginning of me learning how to play the guitar. And to be honest, I've always really seen guitar, used guitar functionally. I've never really like got, gotten into it as my, a main instrument kind of thing. I mean, I use it all the time now in Archiris, but it's not like I was a 17-year-old kid shredding on the guitar, was, you know, <laughs> playing the clarinet and <laughs> I don't know. That's still very impressive that you're able to pick it up and solo, like, pretty early on. You know, <laughs> don't sell yourself short there, Joss. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I read this great quote. Someone called your voice the vocal equivalent of wind chimes and sunlight. Oh, that's lovely. so nice. <laughs> How did you develop your vocal style and what is your relationship with your voice? Hmm, interesting question. Um, I didn't didn't also didn't start singing until well after college. So, it took me a long time to figure out what my voice was and I think in saying that 
to realize that your voice is your voice and you just have to use the thing that you have and not try to... I, I went through a lot of different phases with the low anthem where I tried to sound like this person or tried to sound like that person. I mean, I always sounded like, I'm sure sounded like me to other people, but to in my world, I was trying to, f- quote, fix it. Mm. And I think at some point, I kind of just tossed that away and now and take a lot of the phrasing and the the musicality that I put towards my singing, I definitely take all from my clarinet playing. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, t- talk more about that. That's interesting. Well, just in, in clarinet, clarinet's a single voice instrument. It uses breath. It follows phrasing. I, I use vibrato in clarinet. I use, I use a lot of the same kind of vibrato in my singing, which is not a normal kind of vibrato, not a normal singing vibrato. I use both, but... Um, that kind kind of more like the quote Joni Mitchell vibrato that you hear. That's like a longer vibrato is a lot from my clarinet playing. Like a good example of the Joni Mitchell vibrato would be blue. Yeah. Yeah. She does it pretty hardcore. Yeah. Song. Although she also does a uh, whatever that that. And that's not vibrato. That's not vibrato. Oh. Yeah. This kind of slow, the slow vibrato that's very controlled and volume rather than pitch. That's like. All from my clarinet playing. And That's so cool. Yeah. Also, I would say that when I first started playing with the Louis Anthem, we also played with Anais Mitchell, and I noticed that her singing was really similar to my clarinet playing. And I was, so that was an inspiration in terms of how it can directly apply. Like her phrasing and the way that she kind of pushes and comes in and out of phrasing. I mean, it's not. It's a, she's a little more in out in out in out with her phrasing, but all I can think of is that song where she sings like in and out. Yeah, actually, that one's a good example where yeah. you could, like you she really follows the phrase through in mm-hmm. a way that I think a lot of <clears throat> folk or I don't know a lot of singers don't do as much. But not anything here or there. It's just different. She was definitely an inspiration in terms of seeing how it could apply or hearing her sing and be like, oh, it's like very similar to my clarinet playing. I could use my clarinet playing as a model for my singing. So interesting. Um, it, is this okay to talk? Do you have a slight lisp? Yes. Is I that do. okay to ask about that? Yeah. Okay. It, you, yeah, you have like a very slight lisp. Um, and it kind of comes out in your music sometimes, and I don't think it's a bad thing at all. Um, have you always had it? I actually call it the clarinet lisp. It's, I think it, from playing clarinet so much, it actually changed the shape of my mouth and gave me a little bit of a lisp. When you, yeah, when you speak and when you sing. Insane. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And the more I'm playing clarinet, the more the lisp comes out. I've noticed it's it so, is what it is. So, <laughs> my God. Um, so you haven't been playing the clarinet in Archiris, so do you find it? it's not, the lisp is sort of like dull? It know? went down a little bit, and then I started playing a lot in my free time, and now it's back, like definitely back. Um, how do you feel about it? <laughs> I don't really think about it much, except for when I'm listening back to recordings, and I'm like, wow, that's a, that's a lisp. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you know any other clarinet players so that, that that's happened? I don't know. I haven't thought about it. Pro- I mean, probably not. It's probably an individual thing where the whatever my mouth was shaped like originally mm. and then kind of, I'm sure it's shaped the same, but my, if my teeth moved a little or 
something the way I hold my mouth because of it. Something you weird. Play it so hard. I play it so hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, stage fright. Oh. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, what has been your journey with stage fright? Um, a long one. I, when I started with the low anthem, I trembled when I was on stage. I mean, I was terrified. It was terrible. <laughs> and uh, it took a long time to get more comfortable there. And I think even throughout my time in the low anthem, I think I never really fully got comfortable. It wasn't really until this new and I'm still I still have a little bit of stage fright but I would say it's better to be nervous than to be bored Mm. but um I didn't I think that you know things like the gold leotard actually help like you're sort of becoming another thing when you go on stage and you get to almost be more like an actor than (laughs) than than having to expose yourself like those people that I used to see when I went to Patsy when I was a kid where where it's really just them playing their music on stage naked singing their song which is clearly about themselves you know instead of doing that you can kind of create a scene and and a world and a a fantasy or something that that then you can earnestly but play a part of Mm. (laughs) i do have a couple of questions about the low anthem before we um before we get into talking about arc iris um so uh, with the low anthem, what drew you to want to work with them in the first place? Um, ben Miller and I, we had the same composition professor in college. So I spent a lot of time with him. We, our classes, I think, were three hours long. And I played clarinet. And I got a note on my door at my house one day that said, come over to wherever they were living and play some clarinet whimsies. I'm like, okay, cool, that sounds fun. Pick up my clarinet, I go over there, and I show up, all the doors are clo- closed everywhere except for in, in the kitchen, and there's like whis- whiskey, I don't know, I forget, two whiskey shots per person set out on the table, and I'm thinking, this isn't what I signed up for, but <laughs> okay, I'll go down this road, we'll see what, what this ends up with. And so, you know, we hang out for a while, and I'm like, this is sort of strange. I'm not really, also not really what I was expecting, but fine. I like hanging out. Ben is fun. Jeff is fun. <laughs> I think Lenny might have been there. Um, and then we went down the hallway, and he opened up the door, and there's a lyric sheet and a vocal microphone. And <clears throat> I really had never sang before, like, Ever, ever, ever. And so I understood what the whiskey shots were for. <laughs> <laughs> to en- entice you to try to sing. And then it ended up on that for the What the Crow Brings record. and Such a beautiful record. Yeah. That was how it started. So I'm sure, like, you had so many, so many different types of experiences in the low anthem. And this might be, like, a huge question to answer, but what do you think you learned about yourself from being in that band? Oh my gosh, so many things. So, so many things. Um, Definitely, I mean, overcoming stage fright, huge learning to sing, huge learning about... I mean, we used to play folk songs or traditional music all the time, just, like, hanging out, playing traditional music. I, I think that really influenced my idea of how music was made, because before that I was 
playing classical music, you know, so it's very formal. You play a piece and it's written down and um, so improvising, um, which I did, I did a little bit of before, but not really. And then the uh, just kind of jumping into stuff where you don't really know what you're doing, like singing a song, learning it on the fly, doing, you know, all of that was really fulfilling. I also learned about a lot about myself, just having to work that closely with two people for a really long time. You have to learn how to be better. <laughs> I mean, you have to be a better person or mm. it just doesn't work. And then why did you decide to leave the band? Um, ultimately, we were working on um, Island for, I think, three or four years before I left the band. And I just, well, I felt a, a few things were happening. Ben wasn't really that stoked about clarinet playing in general anymore, which was a little f sad. I think that he had a lot of ideas about how he wanted that record to go, and my ideas were not aligning with his ideas at all. And so we were just having a really hard time collaborating and I wasn't really, I mean, I wasn't really enjoying the music, um, which I love Ben's songwriting. This is not a general statement. I just wasn't, in, I wasn't feeling like connected to that record and certainly not the process of making that record. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I wanted to, well, I think I I was ready to to start playing some of my own songs. I had been bringing them to the band to low anthem for a while, and um, I mean not probably as proactively as I could have, just out of feeling like not worthy or something like that. Like but, this is Ben and Jeff's band. Well, this is something that they've been doing for a lot longer than I have. So how could I possibly? I don't. Yeah. But. You know, in terms of, like, I definitely felt a very much a part of that band, like, in terms of arranging and being just a critical listener. And in terms of songwriting, I just was, I didn't feel like it was an open place for that for me. Hmm. And I had been writing a lot of songs and enjoying that. And so I guess I decided the combination of all things, I decided that I would try breaking out onto my own, on my own and having my own band. Mm. In Arc Iris, <clears throat> um, so I'm so, I'm so interested in this band. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love the origin of the name. It's Arc Iris means rainbow. Mm -hmm. So why did, why did you choose that name? I think at the time I had been, like I just kind of described it, I was having a little bit of a hard time and feeling like my, like, feeling like I was um, maybe a little overshadowed or something. Um, not by anybody's fault. It just was. And so I saw it kind of like the rainbow is the thing that comes out at the end of the, the storm when everything kind of opens up. Oh, Yeah. Um, when you started Arc Iris, I found this quote, as that transformation began to take place, I found a lot of pieces of myself that had been tucked ever so slightly out of sight. So what were those pieces and why do you think you hadn't been accessing them? 
Um, I think I hadn't been accessing them just out of fear. You know, I think that Argyris is a space for me where it's like a playful space. The Lilianthum's not really a playful space. You know, Argyris is like, you do what you want. You, you, we have like, I think we always had rules where we would try everybody's ideas, no matter how dumb they were, just to see if it worked or if some other idea might come out of it. And, you know, you wear silly costumes and you, you just kind of have fun with ideas and trying stuff and not, try not to be judgmental about it. Try not to limit yourself by judgment. And that definitely had played a huge role in my opening up and feeling like I could really be myself. Mm. I want to know about what kind of like outside forces are influencing Arc Iris's image because it's like it I love it so much like it's like I can't decide whether it's like sci-fi or fantasy or like I don't know I'm trying to like I was trying to think of like when you were in the low anthem it was like Kevin Costner's Waterworld like that band uh-huh. was like the you know the abandoned residence <laughs> On Waterworld. And I was trying to think of, like, what fantasy movie, like, Arc Iris would be. And I guess, like, maybe The Labyrinth. Mm. Um, but I don't Good know. Good choice. Yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> but tell me, tell, me about, um, tell me about the aesthetic of Arc Iris. Um, and particularly, I want to talk about your stage persona as well and those golden bodysuits and, <laughs> and the jewelry and, and basically, like, what the overall meaning is behind the image of the band how you created it um i think that it's really been something that we continue to tune up i think when we first started like i said it was really a free-for-all like anything goes everything's great we're just trying (laughs) stuff out we're having fun and I think now in terms of like it being stylized we definitely have tuned up the the, the image. <laughs> um, but the, the gold leotard really was, I mean, I think that at the time I just felt like our music was, was a little bit challenging, um, for lack of a better word, because I'm sure there's a much better word than that. I hate that word, but I found that... How about Freaky. Freaky, a little bit freaky, <laughs> and I thought that like just going on stage with my my person clothes and playing this music wasn't allowing people to step into a space where they were ready for something that wasn't just me playing a guitar and singing normal songs. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of it really was to try and like push the the world of not just the stage but the the whole venue kind of you come in and you feel like okay something different is happening here and then maybe hopefully your mind can shift and be a little more open to to seeing things without like that layer of judgment that I was talking about because of course if you see somebody wearing well Maybe I'm wrong, but the idea was you see somebody wearing a gold leotard and you think, well, they're not taking themselves, like, they're not, like, try- trying to fit the mold. Let's mm. say that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is going to be different. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Um, I'm interested in knowing about like your level of comfort when it comes to like wearing the gold leotard and the creative costumes um, on stage and like in photo shoots and kind of creating this like fantastical image of yourself. Um, and is it ever weird to you to like use your physical self so much in the theme of the band and are people making assumptions about you or your music because of the image? Uh, that is an interesting question. I'm positive that lots of people have passed tons of judgment on my gold leotard and had tons of ideas about what it meant and why I was doing it that were, they thought about it a lot more than I did. I was just like, I got, I'm going to do something different. I saw the gold leotard and I was like, this is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of, you know, our, the... I don't know. I think that I have always enjoyed... That's just a form of play for me. Mm. You know, it's just like being a little kid and running around and making weird stuff. Did you have a gold leotard when you were a kid? Well, I did ballet, so I had a lot of leotards. <laughs> <laughs> really funny face. Listeners, you can't see Jossie's face right now. It's very funny. So many. Um on stage, you seem like this, like, mystical, badass alien superhero who, like, lives on this, like, high-minded plane. And not to say that you're not, like, on a high-minded plane, but in person, you're, like, very down-to-earth, very funny, very easy to talk to, like, very charming. Um, seemingly, like, kind of, op like, not, not necessarily, like, opposite, like, one's night and one's day, but how much do these two people have in common? Oh, I think a lot because in the, in the, in the enjoyment of, I mean, first of all, thank you for all those kind compliments, but, <laughs> you know, enjoyment of general life and just constantly trying to be as present as possible. It's the same thing that I'm doing on stage. It's just, I'm present in this music that is pretty mysterious and pretty, I mean, it's strange, but it's, it's, or it's, it's. What'd you call it? Freaky. Freaky. <laughs> <laughs> it's freaky, but it's freaky in a way that is extremely thoughtful and really deep and has so many layers of of meaning. And being present in that just means that I am, I think the more that I embody all of the ideas that I'm trying to, to get across lyrically and the feeling or the emotion of the 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 musical aspect of things the more maybe freaky i seem i don't know <laughs> <laughs> or what was the uh space oh uh space. mystical badass alien superhero yeah maybe that's just a you know a, pro a byproduct of the music that we're making and how i feel inside of it mm, it's lovely <laughs> Um, Joni Mitchell, uh, you did, you, Arc Iris did the Blue Reimagined album. Um, how do you feel connected to Joni Mitchell? Oh, Joni Mitchell, I didn't really know about until college. Um, when I heard her the first time I was, I heard Case of You, I remember, because a friend of mine played it for me in her dorm room, and I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> And then actually I proceeded to try to learn that song on guitar, which I didn't. So that was, I suppose I did play that song on the guitar very poorly in college uh, before I tried to play in Little Anthem. But um, I think in Little Anthem, she was always 
there and always very meaningful. But as I moved into the world of Arc Iris, she became so much more meaningful to me. Just in, you know, somebody to look up to like, wow, she did this. When it was mostly guys, she was completely not appreciated as much as she should have been. You know, her songwriting is insanely good. Her sense of harmony is insanely good. Her sense of arrangement is insanely good. Her, her, the, you know, I don't know. She just was such a unicorn and <laughs> completely, I feel like, overshadowed by all the men around her. And she didn't let that stop her. And I love, we have in our show that we have this intro that we do that says, that quotes her or is a sample of her saying, if you don't change, they'll get tired of you. You have to change. That's just something that she said in the CBC interview, which I just think is like the most beautiful thing because her constant um, exploration is a lot of what kept her from being as, I mean, she's, she's still huge, but as huge as somebody like Bob Dylan or Bob Dylan changed, but not really, you know. Mm. Or Leonard Cohen, or I guess Leonard Cohen wasn't that that huge, but I can't think of it. But you know what I'm the saying. The Rolling Stones? Yes. <laughs> For example. <laughs> um, you heard one, you heard them all. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Bob Dylan and Leonard Cohen are good examples, because they did change. In fact, Leonard Cohen, I think, really tried to be hip with the times as he moved through. But um, uh, but she really, I mean, she, she took it to a whole other level, and it was just exploration of all of music history. It wasn't just like, oh, here's a new like synth sound that we're using this in the 90s, you know. It was like, oh my gosh, here's this whole new world of harmony that I'm going to use on this record. Here's like this kind of new tuning I'm going to use on this record. Here's this I just feel like she really like she if that was her mantra, she did an amazing job of constantly exploring, constantly finding new amazing musical worlds to live in and blazing new pathways for tons of musicians to come. How did it feel to reimagine and morph such sacred songs? <laughs> I know when we started doing it, we're like, we're not worthy, but <laughs> uh, I enjoyed it so much. It made me smile every time we played it. And I thought that's really, I mean, I'm not trying to be as good as Joni Mitchell. Just mm. trying to do something meaningful and and put bring bring hopefully bring her music. I mean, if <laughs> if all goes well, I could bring even her music to some young people who don't even know it, which is definitely did happen. And I feel That's really cool. really grateful for that. Yeah. So two words that uh, I feel like I found this. I, like I feel like I'm, the questions I'm asking you are like how dare you fuck with Joni Mitchell? But that's like not my, <laughs> I, I don't want you to think that's my MO, but um, so you, it seems as though you knew going into the Joni project that it was going to be bold and it was going to be polarizing, mm -hmm. right? Okay. Um, so explain how so, and also maybe can you tie that into how you feel about taking such risks with your art and how do you relate to those two words, bold and polarizing? Okay, so I think Arc Iris is like a big risk. I think everything we do on stage is a risk and polarizing. The gold leotard to begin with was a polarizing move. I mean, some people are going to look at me and think, oh, she just wants to show off her tits or something. It's definitely not true. 
<laughs> you know, not I don't know. There's like I said, there are a lot of thoughts that are projected onto all of the strange things that we do. That if you're gonna bring judgment to it, you can, and you can decide that. You know, it's being done for the wrong reasons. If you want to, you always can. You know, I think with the Joni Mitchell project, we were fully aware that it was going to be polarizing. And actually, I one of my favorite things about that was posting. Zach would post it onto the Joni Mitchell. Um, I, I I'm really bad with social media. It's I'm Facebook never on groups. It. Yeah, the Facebook groups. Thanks, and people would respond, and it was hilarious. Like some people were <laughs> like so mad, so mad about it. And some people were so excited about it. And it was just this. I was like, this is just such a good, clear representation of <laughs> our, <laughs> as us as, as artists. I mean, but at the same time, if you think about it, the best art is going to be polarizing. Because if it doesn't cause you to have any sort of reaction, then, I don't know, it's just nice. That's not very, is that art or is that? design i don't know mm. oh that's a good point i watched a video of you showing off your gear you had a lot of gear um, oh yeah <laughs> and you had this like blue electric guitar and you were talking about how it was in a weird tuning and you mentioned that the weird tuning informed a lot of your songwriting yeah so i um i played with a lot of different tunings and then realized immediately that having too many tunings is a real pain when you don't have a guitar tech and you're trying to play songs on stage in a way that is seamless and you know you're not like just the one guy up there getting to tune your guitar and talk to the audience I suppose I could do that but I just it's not the way it goes so I immediately realized okay I gotta pick a few <laughs> and <laughs> so I picked two alternate tunings that I typically stick in and the one that the green guitar or teal guitar is in um I've written I've written a lot of songs on it and a lot of them don't end up on the guitar they end up you know on piano or I guess that's the alternative synthesizers <laughs> whatever um but I I find that the the different tunings kind of make you dumb a little bit and can inspire you to find different kinds of harmonies that you wouldn't by just thinking about it you know you can mm -hmm. kind of like explore it causes you to explore sound more like naively or something like that hmm. i love it also in the video you had yeah you had a ton of gear and you also like i mean it went above my head far above my head but you had like so much control over like the um the keyboard that had like 17 little knobs and oh you, like, yeah you like knew what each knob was and um you had like you know 10 different pedals what's been your history with learning all these all about all this gear and all these pedals and effects and how do you feel empowered by your knowledge of that I think the last few years, maybe four or five years, have really been me getting into all that because the reality is that you don't get a, your own sound guy when you're at Arc Iris's level most of the time. You have to kind of go with the house person. And so with vocals and stuff, you, I had all these ideas of what I wanted to sound like, but I couldn't 
very well have it sound like that live because if I had a song guy that came to every show, I could just say, okay, I want reverb here, I want delay here, I want a harmonizer here, I want this, and they would just do it and it would probably be a, a quote, better processor and whatever. But I've actually started using the pedals when I'm recording into the computer too. So like I, when I'm recording, I use pedals sometimes for my effects that just print it permanently mm. onto, onto the track because I like the way they sound and I think... I don't know. It's, there's something nice about permanence, you know, like just like committing. <laughs> <laughs> I have really enjoyed learning about them. And then I think also in terms of arranging or writing the music when, when I get together with Zach and Ray, having my pedals opens up a whole nother world because I can do looping and I can put harmonies on stuff. And I can, I don't know, just it's like a whole nother toolbox that I can use to help create ideas. So going back to the stage performance of Arc Iris, can you um, tell me what the um, tissue box is that you come out of? It's not a <laughs> tissue box, but it looks like a giant tissue box. <laughs> and you stick you stick one arm out of the box and you wave it your arm around and then you stick your leg out and then you like are basically like birthed on stage. Is that is that maybe what is actually happening? That's actually what's happening and it's supposed to look like a vagina. It's just pretty clear, clear I thought. Yeah, that is pretty clear. <laughs> but tell, tell, uh, tell, us, uh, tell, tell us here on Basic Folk um, uh, a little bit more about the decision behind behind that. Well, I thought that right now... We're in a time where we're trying to, as a society, learn how to appreciate women more. And we use penile Im imagery all the time to express things. And I wanted to celebrate women and use this as, like, this is my entrance into your world. This is literally all of our entrances into the world. This is my entrance in into your world and celebrate it and use it as like a a tool to celebrate women really <laughs> that's really <laughs> that's awesome i really like that um i want you to stick around so we can do the lightning round um will you do that sure okay we're we're going to take a short break and then we'll be right back with the lightning round Basic Folk is brought to you by motivational life coach Janet Forrest who believes it's never too late to ask what do you want to be when you grow up Mention Basic Folk and you'll receive 25% off your first month of coaching when you visit JanetForrest.com to get started. Basic Folk receives support from McDean, songwriters who love each other. McDean would be delighted to send you a free CD of their first EP, The Sampler Plate. Email lin at mcdean.co, lin at mcdean.co to get one. Jossie, you ready? Ready. For the lightning round. Okay. Um, these are just a series of fun questions. So you okay. can give like two or three sentence answers or one word answers. <clears throat> Here we go. Um, what is your coffee order? Ooh, I don't drink coffee anymore, but I drink green tea. So green tea. Straight up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, your favorite teacher? Um, my clarinet teacher in high school and beyond, Julie Viverka. She's so amazing. Nice. Um, do you have a dream collaboration? It's always changing, but right now I'm, we're trying to learn a lot about production. So I think 
right now, I would love to col collaborate with Pharrell Williams, which seems pretty crazy, but I feel like the different, the like huge gap, I feel like there would be so much to learn. Yeah. You know? Let's make it happen. Okay. <laughs> um, Beatles or the Rolling Stones? Beatles. Yeah, Beatles. <laughs> Do you like peanut butter? Yes. Do you like smooth or chunky peanut Chunky. Okay. <laughs> um, morning person or night owl? Oh, both. <laughs> um, do you like the beach or the mountains? <laughs> it seems like a weird question, but it's true. Do I like the beach or the mountains? I Also both. That's a hard question, too. I'm sorry. I like both, too. <laughs> um, flying or invisibility? Uh, flying. If you were to have a baby, would, uh, would you do the gender reveal or wait to find out what the gender is? Wait. Star Trek or Star Wars? Uh, Star Wars? You haven't seen either. I haven't seen Star Trek and I'm not... I like Star Wars, but like my bandmates are way into Star Wars. And in comparison, I just... I look... I look terrible when it comes to Star Wars. <laughs> um, what do you have for breakfast? Either yogurt and granola or eggs and some sort of greens. Who's your favorite cat? Oh, my cat. I have two cats. They have to be tied. Okay, tied. You'll, you've had a couple of ties. I know. I'm sorry. Tell me about your I'm cats. I'm a Gemini. Can't help it. Aoife and Penelope, they're amazing. They look the same. They act different. They're twins. They're perfect. What's um, What's been your favorite interview? This one. Thank you. <laughs> Jossie Adams, you did so... Well, you did all right on the lightning round. <laughs> I did so badly on the lightning round. I don't remember anything about physics. Oh, my God. Thank How you, terrible. Jossie. Thank you. Jossie Adams, best laugh in folk music, declaring it right now on Basic Folk. Thanks again for checking us out today. Laura McCarthy produces Basic Folk. Lindsay Myers is our business manager. Our music is by Alex Stanton of the Pittsburgh band Townspeople. I'm Cindy Howes. I host this thing and do a bunch of stuff. Thank you for listening all the way to the end. You're a real rock star, a champion. And if you would leave a review on iTunes, I mean, you're listening all the way at the end of the podcast. You must really love this podcast. So go to iTunes, leave a review. You can check out show notes at cindyhouse.net. You can also sign up for our mailing list there. And there is a new Facebook group called Basic Folk Basics, where we talk about very basic things and also cats. Okay. See you next week. Bye.